Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Come in, get a nice warm cup of coffee or tea, or maybe just a, a nice hot cup of water um, to warm, warm you up a little bit. I used to have a friend. He was so cold all the time. We would sit in his office, and he would just hold like a cup of hot water, and I would make fun of him. But on days like this, where it's snowy and cold, I will not make fun of you, I promise. We get, get some warmth. If you're home, you're probably snuggled up under a blanket. Um, don't fall asleep, please. Um, let's, let's, let's hear what the Lord has for us this morning. Um, it's good for, for myself, personally, I can say, to be welcomed back here, like to be back and everyone to be so nice and welcoming this morning. Um, and if you're online, maybe you're saying, hey, welcome, Dylan. Hopefully, I've been gone for a while. It's glad, I'm glad to be back. Autumn and I are really glad to be back in Montreal and to be with everyone. Um, we survived our quarantine of two weeks. Um, and like I talked to you guys before, when I get into quarantine, I'm like, okay, I have these plans because I've, I've been eating like really unhealthy and living like a really lazy life. Where I'm like, when I get in quarantine, I'm going to exercise a lot and get really buff and really fit. And as you guys can tell that I did that this past quarantine, right? Like I look really buff and fit. Thanks, guys. Great confidence this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I did the opposite of that. I didn't lay around and I wasn't lazy. Like I, we, we did eat a lot better. Like we ate you know, a lot of vegetables, and we treated ourselves to desserts like once a week until we stopped doing that. Um, I'm not going to tell you how long it lasted, but, you know, we tried to take care of ourselves, and um, I tried to expand my mind. I did an 1,000-piece Harry Potter puzzle. Has anyone done an 1,000-piece puzzle before? Come on, someone has in here. Hina's done one online. Have you ever done? Melissa's done one I saw over here. We Oh, come on. You'd family activities. That's perfect family time. Um, online, maybe you're saying you've done one. It takes so much more time than you think. And uh, I probably sat one day. I was talking to Autumn. I was like, man, I sat here for like two hours doing this puzzle. She goes, no, you sat here for like five hours doing this puzzle. And like I told myself it was better than like looking at a screen. Maybe it was. I don't know. But I felt accomplished. And so glad to be back here and to not um, be living like a crazy person stuck. Um, glad to be able to see your faces and maybe sometime this week you can text me when going to walk together or something. Or maybe someone, um, we can go ice skating. I'm not very great at ice skating like I can do it maybe someone can teach me how to do cool things ice skating if you know um, but last week we started our series in Corinthians and we're continuing in it this week um, with the title of it being guess what Corinthians we're really clever like that's that's all it's about is the book of Corinthians as we study the book of Corinthians together and then our subtitle of imperfect church um, perfect savior with the thought and idea that the gospel is the answer to sin and brokenness we face in our lives and in our church. Um, this week, we're particularly looking at what Paul writes in Corinthians about generosity and giving. So to prep you for what's to come, I'm going to give you two of the main points, like the two main points that drive this topic, and you're going to be looking for them in the sermon because you have a heads up. So the first one is true generosity is giving ourselves first to the Lord and then to others. The idea of it being we must first give ourselves entirely to the Lord. As a result, we then give graciously to others. So be looking for that one. It's going to come up again. And then our second main point, which you will hear a bunch, 
is giving is an overflow of the abundant joy Jesus fills us with. If we give ourselves to the Lord, then generosity and giving are an overflow of the abundant and copious joy that Jesus fills us with. So be looking for that one too. I promise you, you're going to hear it a lot. Um, It'll be on the screen multiple times, so be, be paying attention. You can write notes online. You can comment it back and be like, oh, I found it. I heard it again. Um, maybe it can be like a, a word search for you. Look for it when I say it. Um, I was a part of a church recently where they had like a bingo for, for like kids in there, and like they, when they got all the bingo squares from like what the pastor said, they yelled bingo. So, I mean, if you guys want, if you find it, you can say bingo or whatever. I don't know. Um, just pay attention, right? That's all we want is to be engaged and involved. I mean, it was really, like, cool to hear, like, in the auditorium, like, little tiny kid voices, like, five years old, like, bingo, like, when we were praying. It was so cute. But uh, today we're, we're talking about gracious um, giving from Second Corinthians chapter 8. You can turn there if you want. We're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter 8. And if you want, we have a Bible on the back you can use, um, and you can take it home with you if you want. Or it'll be on the screen if you're online. You can probably see it on the screen, or you can open your phone or your Bible next to you. Wherever it is, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. A little setup for us in this um, before we start it is Paul's writing this letter, like James explained last week, to the church in Corinth. And in this particular part of his letter, he's writing and asking them to give financially to the struggling um, people, church, the church of Jerusalem. So these people... And this church in Jerusalem were really struggling financially. They didn't have just basic things. They really were in need. And Paul's encouraging um, the church of Corinth to give financially to them. And he also uses an example of the Macedonian church that had already given to the cause of helping the Jerusalem church. And he uses their giving as an example and teaches through it. Um, and Paul's also writing to remind the church, the Corinthian church, like, they had talked about giving before. You'll read the wordage in here. It is like they had had this conversation already. And they had been like, yes, we want to give to that cause. So Paul's writing and saying, okay, you had said this before. This church already gave, and it is an example of generous giving. Now I'm calling you guys to action too. So that's a little hind, like little, little vision for us of what's happening here. And I also believe Paul is writing this to teach why and how we are to give generously. Um, He uses examples of other churches and um, talks about giving in such a way that is so applicable for us to learn the heart and the attitude and the reasons why we give today. So it's not just for the Church of Corinth. It's for us in the room this morning and online um, this morning. It is just as applicable for us because it is a great lesson of learning how and why we are generous. So essentially, we're just going to read verses 1 through 15. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to go through them and explain them and learn from them. So I'm going to read them really quickly, and then we'll, we'll break it down. Starting in verse 1, you can follow along. It says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it their own, out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did, what more, they even did more than we had hoped for. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us. 
just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. So see, the wordage here is like, we have talked about this before. This isn't something new, but I encourage you to fulfill your promise. So starting in verse 7, it says, Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and in love for one other, for others, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you had started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first, and, uh, you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when, you're need, when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as you, you would be among us, you would teach us this word, Lord, as we read your scripture. Would you apply it to our hearts? Would you teach us from it? Would your word be life-giving to us this morning, Lord? We ask that you would speak to us through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so that's a lot of verses, and maybe you're kind of sitting there fuzzy-headed like I am because I don't have my glasses on, and I had to use my finger to follow along because that was a little bit. But we're gonna, I promise you we're going to break it down and make it practical for us. So in verse 1, I lo- Paul starts with like just this great, it's like sets it up so well. He's such a great writer, and uh, I'm so scatterbrained, so what we're going to do is just take it verses at a time because I believe he taught it in such a great way. So in verse 1, he just simply says what God in his kindness has done through the church in Macedonia. And the wording, the order there is so important because Paul is easily, he's clearly pointing that God is doing the generous giving through them. Paul immediately sets the tone for giving and says that it comes from a relationship with Jesus first. It must start with him. And then as God doing the giving through them, the word there, it's so simple. It's like these people were faithful. They have a relationship with the Lord. And he says, in God's kindness, he has done this gracious giving through this church. So if, the, so if it is the Lord doing the work through them, through us when we graciously give, it must start with surrender to him. And I think Paul starts this way because if we are to give, we must first have given ourselves to the Lord or we're going to struggle for real. Like I promise you, if you don't first surrender yourself and everything to the Lord, you're really going to struggle with this. Uh, And then he goes from that thought into verse 5. He says, he lays it out again. He says their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. He doesn't even start with, like, give this much, give that, do that. He says, first, they did was give themselves to the Lord. 
as God wanted them to do, as God calls us to do. And as a result of that was the Lord working through them. And in verse 2 we read, and I'm jumping back and forth, but it makes a good point. In verse 2, he says, They were filled with abundant joy, which overflowed in rich generosity. Which, if you were listening in the beginning, that's what flows into our main thought of it, is that when we give ourselves fully to the Lord, we are filled with His joy. And it leads to a rich giving, a rich generosity. And in giving, when we talk about it, the real issue isn't giving money. It's not just a simple act of like giving something. The real issue is giving ourselves to the Lord first. If we have really given ourselves to the Lord, then joyful giving and generosity will naturally flow out of that. And I'm telling you, that's a challenge for me because I so much wanted it just to be the act of doing something. Like I can easily do something and check it off and say, yeah, I'm good at that. I did it. I gave it to someone. But the true rich generosity flows first from us giving ourselves completely to the Lord. Like then we will be truly generous givers. Joyful giving is a ministry too. I like how Paul describes it in verse 6. He calls it, um, the ministry says, complete the ministry of giving. And I like that terminology because so often, if you're like me, which I'm not saying, you know, everyone has to be like me, but, you know, maybe your brain thinks like me too, is that giving is like just an act. It's like, okay, it's like something that I'm supposed to do, so I do it, and we consider it like just a task to be done instead of viewing it in this light of a ministry that God calls us to. So when we think of ministry, a lot of times we, our, our minds come first to things like, okay, the ministry of like, okay, our food bank, like tangible things. We're like, okay, the Love Burgundy Food Bank, that's, that's a ministry. It is. We think of prayer, the ministry of prayer. We're like, okay, that's a ministry to be taught and learn and do. We think of evangelism as a ministry to learn and be taught and to do. And, and so many other things which are great ministries. And often, we don't place giving in that. We don't view it as something that's not just a financial act, but something that's actually giving of ourselves, our time, our energy, our days, our finances. Just like most ministries require something of us, giving is a ministry that requires all of us. They require time, practice, and they require being taught and willing to learn it. It's not something that you're just like thrown into to be like, oh, I'm the, the best and most generous and giver. Like if we think of it, of the light of it being a ministry, we know that the Lord tasks us with ministry, faithfully serving him, but we know that scripture says he will fully equip you to do the ministry. So we start placing giving in that category. We're like, okay, so it's something I need to be taught. I need to learn it. I need to understand it. And then I need to put it into practice. And as I do it, I'll know, okay, the Lord equips me fully to do it. And then he surrounds me with other people that will help teach me and help do it with me. And it becomes more of a ministry instead of just an act we do. It becomes something that the Lord calls us to do in serving him. If we don't start this way, like all ministry, it must stem from our relationship with the Lord or it is empty and it's useless. It is of ourselves. In verse 7, he continues on. And he's, he, I want to point out a, a word he's been using multiple times. Your translation might be different, but mine says, uh, let's see, verse 7. It says, this gracious act of giving. 
yours might say this grace also or this grace. But I love how Paul has used four times now to giving as grace. He's, he's used the word interchangeably. Instead of using the word giving, he's like, this gracious act, this grace, the grace from God. Like, he starts to compare it and use it as this term. And the fact that Paul would use the Greek word, it's, I think it's pronounced charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. If anyone is an expert in that, you can teach me. I figured it out when I was studying. Um, but the fact that he would use this Greek word, basically grace, unmerited favor from the like unmerited favor tells us two things first it tells us that giving is a work of God's grace in us and second it tells us that our giving should be like God's giving of grace to us that it should be given willfully freely and generously a lot changes when we start to think of this word giving being a word of grace because then it starts to become less and less about like ourselves and more about what Christ has done through us, the grace that he has put in us and the grace that he will flow out of us. When God gives to us out of grace, the motive for his giving is in him alone. It is not based in the one receiving. I don't know about you, if you're online or you're here in the room, I would never say that I was deserving of God's grace. Would anyone say that they're deserving of it? Good, I didn't want to have to have a conversation with anyone. None of us, none of us are deserving of God's grace. And that's the beauty of it, is it's unmerited favor, and it's not based on the one receiving. And that is how Paul compares it here, how we should be gracious and give. Because the love and generosity of God is so big in our heart that we simply must. It is a natural outflow of what is being poured into us. Giving is an overflow of the abundant joy that Jesus fills us with. Our giving, like God's grace to us, should be offered without expectation of anything in return. And that's hard for me because, like, you know, we always low-key, like, expect something in return for, like, doing something, if you're like me. Um, But God does not ever expect us in giving of his grace payback. Because we honestly can never repay God for what he has given us. Often when we give, we don't expect the person that we give to or the organization we give to to give something of us, but we often expect God to give something to us through it. We often think, oh, if I do this and I give this way, and then God will bless me later. And you'll hear this preached a lot. You'll hear people stand before you and say, if you give, then you'll get something. If you give of this, then God will bless you in this way and your life will be perfect. And that is so opposite of what God teaches us. And it's opposite of what Paul is saying here. We give because he has already given you and me all we could ever need. He has given us the greatest gift of all, and it was his son sent to die on a cross in our place to carry our sins and set us free and give us eternity in him, to give us salvation. We should never expect to receive something from giving, from giving because we have already been given the greatest gift we could ever receive, and out of that gift we have received, our giving must flow out of. So I'm not standing here telling you that if you give to this, if you do that, if you're generous in this way, you're going to receive something. No, 
You give and are generous because you have received. If you have given your life to Jesus, you have received the greatest gift that fuels your gracious giving. So never expect a return because by his power and by his grace that we are able to graciously give and love people. This is why Paul adds this in the letter in verse 9. He gives us just like the ultimate mic drop, like best example. He's like, this is the best example. None of us can measure up to it, but we should model it. And who do you think it is? No other person but Jesus. He gives the example of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, you can see it says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. That's so powerful. He was rich and became poor for your sake, it says. He gave up the riches of heaven. He sat on a throne and had a kingdom. He gave up to be born as a man on earth here and gave all of himself so that by his poverty, by his giving, he could make you rich. Not rich in a, in a term of Canadian dollars, Rich in a sense of we have been adopted. If we have given ourselves to Jesus, we have been adopted into his family. And it says, guess what? We are co-heirs in this kingdom of heaven. And we are rich, rich. We have new life and eternity in Jesus. We are rich because he gave up for us. Paul gives this ultimate example of like, this is the person you should model all of your giving for and all of your giving should flow through this and, and we should model it. And it must flow from this or our giving is empty because giving is an overflow of the abundant joy that he fills us with. I'm going to say this at least five more times until we can let it sink in because so often I try to give and give from just myself instead of receiving it from the Lord and letting it pour out. A lot of times we can read these words, and as I studied it this week, it can be a little overwhelming. We can start be pressed with these kind of anxious questions of like, well, what am I supposed to do? Am, am I really doing enough right now? Am I giving enough? Am, am I a bad person because I haven't been giving? What am I supposed to be doing? And I can be filled with these anxious questions instead of simply saying, Lord, what would you have me do now? And Paul answers those questions as we continue in the next verses. If you're filled with those questions, just listen and see like the advice that the Lord gives us here. In verse 11, Paul just simply says, give in proportion to what you have. I'm not asking you to give up everything you have, all of the money you have, and, and to be living a difficult life. He's saying give in proportion what you have because it's an issue of the heart. Paul's getting to the root of our giving because in verse 12, he says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give with the right heart. It's not about the amount, like he talks about the Macedonian church. They probably weren't able to give a lot of money. They weren't very well off. But it's the fact they were so filled with his joy that it overflowed into a rich, genuine, generous, over-the-top giving. It's not about making your life hard and other lives easier. It's about being generous with what he's given us. In verse 14, he put it simply, if you have plenty, 
you can give and help those who don't have plenty. And then in the times where maybe you don't have plenty and you are in need, those that you gave to might and could help you. It's this act of a church, a community of the Lord, the kingdom of the Lord, like serving and loving each other and providing for needs where we need it and being that in the world so that they experience what the goodness of God is like and how he provides and takes care of us. It is all about faith. We give with faith in him that he will take care of us. Not because we will get everything that we ever wanted or we'll have the biggest house or the nicest cars if we're, if we're generous, but we give because we know that we've been given the greatest gift and we know that he takes care of us in that. Matthew six twenty six, you've probably heard this before. It's a great reminder. It says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. Amen. And aren't you far, far more valuable to him than they are? Saying like, look, hey, look at those birds. If you're like me, I pretty much hate birds. They are gross, and especially pigeons here in the city. And it's like, hey, look at them. Doesn't the Lord provide food for them? They might be eating trash, some of them, but, you know, he provides other food that they could probably eat, but they want our trash sometimes. But he says, don't, don't, doesn't he provide for these birds? Like, don't you think the God of everything would provide for you? Like, he would give you food? He'll give you shelter? He'll take care of you? And I love this idea in it, isn't a life of excess. It's not a life of like, he'll provide for you this amazing apartment and he'll provide for you so much to get all these really cool things. But he's saying, he will provide for you a life that takes care of you. And what's really cool in that is it's that you might be one at the time who needs help providing. You might be the one who needs to receive And the Lord will use people around you to provide for you. He'll use the church. And the really cool other side of that is if you're a person who's not in need and has excess, you will be an avenue for which the Lord uses you to provide for others. Just like he provides for the birds in the sky, he provides for those in need and he might be using you to do it. If we are faithful and allow him to control all of our life, it's a life of faith and enough. I like how he kind of wraps up this idea and this comparison of like how we are to give and how much we're to give, whatever it is. He calls back with this great reminder that all these people he's teaching to would have known. And he says in verse 15, I'll read it. He says, Those who gather a lot had nothing left over, and those who gather only a little had enough. So basically here, Paul's doing a a callback to the Israelites in the desert. And, you know, if you read the story of the Israelites in the desert, they complained a lot. Uh, Much like maybe some of us in the room or online, I'm mainly talking about myself, but they complain a lot. They're like, Lord, we're so hungry. We're in this desert. We're so hungry. What are we supposed to eat? And uh, the Lord says, okay, I hear you. Um, I'll provide for you. Every morning there will be this sweet bread from heaven. It'll be called manna. And you are to take of it just what you need for the day. And it will nourish you and it will supply you. But don't take more than you need. Don't store up more because you are to have faith in me that I will provide for you tomorrow. 
And so there were some Israelites who took that and said, okay, I'll have faith in the Lord. I know that he is good and he provided bread once and he'll do it again tomorrow. So I'm only going to take what I need and I have faith that he's going to show up again with bread. And it said that in this scripture, they, those who gathered little, enough for the day, had plenty. And then there were the other Israelites who kind of had this thought in your mind. And this might be you. This is me. They had this thought. They said, all right, I know the Lord said that he's going to come back. He's going to do it again. And I'm only supposed to take a little. But, you know, like, what if he doesn't show up? Like, what if, what if it doesn't happen? I need to gather a little extra because, like, if I store up enough and I keep saving some, then, like, next month if he decides to stop doing it, then I'll have plenty to cover myself. Like, I need to have just a little bit because what if? And it's this life outside of faith in the Lord of him saying, I will take care of you. It's this life of, I hear you, but I will take care of myself. And so Paul calls back to this and puts it in a light of gracious giving. And he says, let this be a reminder to you. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. And it leaves you with these questions. Where do we store our treasures? Do we hold on to our money with a tight fist? Are we constantly storing and saving and having this life of abundant excess? Do we hoard it like the Israelites in the desert? Or do we gather and keep what we need and give faithfully to those we see around us in need? I'm not saying that you are not to be responsible and have a savings account. That is not wrong. That is wise. It is wise to take care of yourself and your family. But what I'm saying is, as the Lord has provided excess for you in that savings, and if you see a brother or sister in need and do not help meet that need, you have gathered an abundant excess and you have not shared and had faith in the Lord and it will, it will not be enough. Like the manna in the desert that they gathered excess it will be putrid, it will be unedible, it will be vile. If we're storing up all this excess and we are never gracious to those we see who need, who lack excess, it will be volatile. It will be putrid. Volatile is not the right word. It will be putrid and it will not be there. This life is a life of faith and trust in the Lord. I'm not telling you to give up everything, to give everything you have. But as we see those in need, we are to live generously because he has generously given himself to us. And we read in scripture, it says all we have is the Lord's. So when we're so tight with what we think is ours, we're so tight with what is the Lord's. And that's not a very wise thing to do, trust me, um, from experience. It is not very wise to hold on tightly to what is the Lord's when he's asking you to be faithful and giving. And I love this, compar- this um, verse in 1 John 3.17. It says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? It's the idea of It's not wrong to have savings. It's not wrong to have extra. But when we live in that moment of extra and we see a brother or sister in need and we do not help, we do not graciously give, how how can God's love reside in us? 
Because when we go back to the idea of giving, of grace, it's that we know that he fills us with a joy that is abundant and overflows. So if we're not helping meet the needs of those people when we have extra, how can we be filled with his love because it's not pouring out of us? I love how Calvin, um, a really wise man, once put it this way. He said, all that we have is manna. And just as manna, which was hoarded to excess out of greed or lack of faith, immediately putrefied. So we should have no doubt that riches which are heaped up at the expense of our brethren are accursed and will soon perish and their owner will be ruined with them. I like that reminder for myself not to scare you. We're not supposed to be scared into giving or guilted into giving, but as a reminder of every single thing I have is of the Lord. Just like manna from heaven, all of my stuff, all of my money is of the Lord. And when he pushes and I see need, I must say, okay, yes, Lord, because it is not mine to hold on to. Paul writes to help teach us this ministry of giving. This is a lesson to learn and to grow into. And if you're like me, you can be like, honestly, I, I didn't know this. I didn't, I'm not participating in this. I'm not doing this ministry. I'm not growing in it. I'm not learning in it. I need to learn and grow in it. That's what this is for. We're teaching on this again next week. And we want to walk together in this. If you have questions about it, like this is where we learn and grow. And we encourage and stir each other up to love and good works as we read in Scripture. Giving is an overflow of the abundant joy Jesus fills us with. As we kind of close this lesson on, on being generous and giving, please, please, please let Jesus be your example. Don't hear my words and be like, okay, Dylan's guilted me into this, whatever. Please do not. Let Jesus be what guides you. Because he knows far, far better than I do, I promise. You know that. (laughs) Online, you know that. If you've met me, you know that. He has to be our example. He gave so graciously to all of us, to a people who didn't deserve it, but desperately, desperately needed it. And what I love about that is, I don't know if about you, but I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for Jesus to do this for me, but he did. I was in desperate need, a place of great, great need, and I didn't ask for help, and Jesus still died on a cross for me. What a beautiful picture of giving. Once we have received Jesus, once we have given our life to him and accepted him, that, is, that must be how it flows out of us. As we see needs, we meet generously. People don't always have to ask for it either. A lot of times I'm like, well, that person didn't ask, so I can't give to them. Or, you know, I, I give myself a cop out because I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I know they need, but they didn't ask for it, so they must not need very much. Uh, none of us asked for Jesus to do what he did, and he gave so graciously and freely. We are to be imitators of Christ. We are rich because he gave up all for us. I love another great quote, a great Calvin quote, because he's a lot smarter than I am. It says this, Because 
as our Heavenly Father freely bestows upon us all things, so we ought to be imitators of his unmerited kindness and doing good. Or at least because in laying out our resources, we are simply the dispensers of his favor. That's why. That's the result. That's why we pursue the ministry of giving. Because he first gave. And as he gives through us, like we read in verse 1, that God is doing the work through the Macedonian church. As he gives and is generous through us, as it overflows out of our life, the world will experience and know Jesus through it. They'll experience his favor. Oh man, this beautiful picture of it not being about us or what we can do with it, but but us just faithfully saying, Lord, all I have is yours. I submit all I am to you, everything I have. And as you say a need, I will give to it and your favor will be dispensed amongst the earth. And people will hear and feel and experience Jesus as we are generous. Our giving should model Jesus. People experience him as we give faithfully out of the overflow of abundant joy he gives us. Maybe you're in the room or maybe you're online and you've never heard of this gracious gift that Jesus offers. The offer of forgiveness and salvation from his payment on the cross. It is for you today. It is free for you today. You can have it. We would love to talk to you more about it. You can send us a message if you're online. In the room, you can come talk to us after. But this gift is for you. Those of you in the room or online who've received this gracious gift from the Lord, are we living a life of abundant joy today that overflows? Are we clenching so tightly onto everything we have and gathering up and storing so much because we're not living a life of faith that we don't serve and love those who lack is the love of Christ residing in us. I say this, church, do not be discouraged today. If maybe, like me, you struggle with that. I struggle there, church. I really struggle. My, my fist is so tight so often. I, I really struggle. Do not walk out of here with your head down thinking you've been defeated. But church, walk out encouraged knowing that it is not by your power that you give. It is not by what you have to offer that you give. But it is by the overflowing grace and joy of Jesus Christ in you that you are able to give graciously. So we walk out of here today saying, Lord, I'm going to submit all I have to you. I'm reading this really, really incredible book um, called Absolute Surrender. It's by Andrew Murray, and I'm telling you guys, it is messing me up because I think I have it figured out, and then I start reading a chapter of that, and it's like, maybe I don't. (laughs) So I encourage, like, that's where this must start from, a place of absolute surrender because when we are so tight with our money and not generous is because we have not surrendered it to the Lord. And in this book, it talks about we must come to a place where we say absolutely every single ounce of me, every part of me, every little thing I own, every 
item that I have, every finance, every piece of me, I completely surrender 100% to the Lord. So that must be where we start. So walk out of here, church. Surrender. Watch what he will use you for. Watch how he will be generous through you. Because it's not by our own power that we're generous. I'm not a very generous person. But it is by the Lord moving and working in us. As we close, I want us to leave with this thought as James comes up here and as we're transitioning into a different form of worship, I want us to be encouraged with this form of worship and God's word. I want us to hear this truth, let it sink in. Go home and let's say, Lord, am I really surrendered to you? Have I given all I am, all I have? Am I living a life of abundant excess and not helping those in need? Lord, I want to surrender it to you. Be encouraged, church, that he offers that for you today. He wants to use you to dispense his favor to everyone in your life. So this week, would we go and live a life of abundant joy from him that overflows into a rich, rich generosity? Let's be imitators of Christ. Let's go to him.